I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. The Diving Deep EDU podcast aims to have thought-provoking conversations that help listeners dive deeper into educational practices with a focus on teacher retention, recruitment, burnout. Subscribe to the Diving Deep EDU podcast newsletter to get more information about this podcast and these topics. Link is in the show notes. Our guest today is Josh Bleiberg. Josh is the Assistant Professor of Education Policy at the University of Pittsburgh and was a postdoctoral research associate in school reform at the Annenberg Institute at Brown University. He is also the author of an interesting paper he wrote while at the Annenberg Institute, and is why I reached out to have him on this podcast. The article will be linked in the show notes. Josh, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Let's start the conversation off by you telling us a little bit about the work that you've been doing recently. Sure. Uh, thanks so much for having me on to, to talk. Uh, so I am actually wrapping up my first semester as a professor at, at Pitt, so have been mostly focusing on just doing the the normal things that everyone does in their first couple of months in a in a job in the pandemic or whatever phase yeah. of the pandemic we're in getting used to uh, all the new uh, systems and all that but have also been doing some more research on teachers and teacher labor markets and I'm excited to have the opportunity to talk more about it cool yeah and let's let's just jump right into your paper that you wrote while at the Annenberg Institute at Brown University and the title of the paper is what happened to the k-12 education labor market during covid the acute need for better data systems and again I'll link it in the show notes so Let's get to the core of this. Let's get a little deeper. Uh, let's talk about your motivation. And again, you co-wrote this with Matthew Kraft, but let's talk about your motivation uh, behind writing the paper. So what led you to spend all of the time and effort to research this topic and this paper? Uh, so I, I think it sort of came from this question that it turns out uh, not just me, but a lot of folks are interested in, but uh, of just trying to understand what happened with teachers mm -hmm. in the pandemic. And so yeah. there's sort of like two big parts to that question. One mm -hmm. part we, we don't really talk about, which is to very vastly summarize, uh, the pandemic was very difficult for teachers in terms yeah. of the, the threat to their health. And, um, you know, they experienced that in their general stress levels. Then we're, the part of it that we became more interested in was how is that going to influence uh, who stayed in classrooms, mm -hmm. who chose to retire, uh, whether or not there would be uh, layoffs or reductions in force. Um, and so it, it actually started with this question of, we know quite a bit about uh, teacher labor markets in the Great Recession and what happened there, yeah. which was uh, sort of a long, prolonged decrease in the number of teachers that were in schools that uh, just really right before the recession started to reach pre sorry before the pandemic reached great uh, pre great recession levels and 
So at that time, it's very difficult to like place ourselves in the mindset of, of March 2020, but mm-hmm. we didn't know what the economy was going to do, not just us, but yeah. everyone. And so there was a concern, what if it is going to be very similar to the last recession that we experienced? Um, and so it was, it was just sort of starting from this place of, is this going to be like the great recession all over again. Mm-hmm. But it, it turned out not to be, I think, in some very interesting ways. Yeah, and one of the reasons your paper stood out to me, because as I looked at the the title, so I hear a lot of hot takes. Um, you know, I was just at a webinar last week by a respected institution, and they were saying, uh, you know, teachers are, are leaving the the profession in waves, you know, and it's all because of, of COVID-19. So I'm hearing that, right? And then I, I see your title of the paper, and I don't necessarily experience that. Um, and I'm talking to people, and a lot of people outside are saying, you know, Matt, are a lot of people leaving teaching because of COVID? And I'm like, in one sense, I'm like, yeah, because that's what I'm hearing, like the hot takes. But in, but in the other sense, I'm like, I don't really know. So I guess I have a couple questions around this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first question is, why do you think so many institutions are so quick to declare a teacher shortage as the result of COVID? I, so there, there's this like, I, I don't know, inherently contradictory truth about whether or not there is a, mm-hmm. a teacher shortage. <laughs> um, and, and so sort of talk about it from a couple of different yeah. perspectives. Uh, we, we could start with what, what does an occupation look like that has very low turnover, oh, you know, like b- before the pandemic in a normal year where the economy is good, about 12% of teachers are leaving their district, you know, whether retiring, leaving the profession, um, or, or, or some, to some way leaving their, or their district to go to another yeah. district. Um, that's, you know, a pretty, that's a little bit more than one out of every 10 uh, teachers is leaving now. You know, in every profession and occupation, you have people who leave to pursue different professions. But like that—that's where we start, sort mm-hmm. of as a as a baseline for whether we should think that it's uh, different from that, or at least that's how I think about the question. I think yeah, there, there's a lot of um, not necessarily disagreeing with people who are saying like there's a shortage versus who uh, who say the opposite. But it feels like there's some talking past each other. Mm-hmm. I think. For the the people who are raising concerns that there are teacher shortages, they're kind of talking about this baseline condition of like, there's a lot of every year before the pandemic, there's a lot of teachers who are leaving the classroom. Exactly, that's bad because we need teachers, and yeah. I, I certainly agree with that. That that uh, that um, experience matters uh, in the in the classroom, and uh, that if we look at how enrollment has grown recently. You haven't uh, seen the number of teachers keep up with that. So you can certainly argue from that perspective that there's mm-hmm. a shortage and we don't have as many teachers as we need. Um, and then I think you, you can think about it from another perspective, uh, which is just that there are a lot of teachers in the United States, about uh, 3 million plus. Okay. Um, and the situation or the degree to which there's a shortage is really going to depend on where you are in the United States. Some mm-hmm. cities are going to be different from others. And uh, Matt uh, Kraft and Danielle Sanderson and Chris Candelaria and some others, I think I'm forgetting an author or two in that paper, have, for the, the first time that I've known, 
been able to look at those details within a specific state within Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So they, they I love that see, paper. I just read it. It's, it's great. It's really interesting. And yeah. I mean, and so satisfying to uh, have sort of a, you know, I think a thing that a lot of people have said, like, well, labor markets depend, they're local. It's like, well, they, they showed it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's great to like have actual evidence on that. And, and I think, I, I think that's really how people can have multiple truths about this. Like yeah, it, it could be true that, in some cities that the teacher labor market is still strong and it can be true that it's, it's weakened in other places. Um, the, one of the biggest factors that is taking up the monies that are allocated uh, for teacher salaries is uh, pension obligations. Yeah. So as, as we are reaching a time where a lot more teachers are retiring, a lot of money is, is going uh, to, to pay for, those pensions, uh, but there's there's people who are in charge uh, making individual investment decisions in different places. And so recently I saw that uh, there were quite a few large pensions that had invested a lot of money in FTX. And, Ooh, and the, the that's probably, not <laughs> it's not good. And, and the, the cities that made those choices, that it. money is probably gone. And I'm, oh, I'd yeah. be willing to bet that the chance that there's going to be layoffs or cuts of other kinds in those places is coming soon. So, you know, that can be localized. E- economies can be hit in, in different ways. Uh, yeah. You know, like at the, at the beginning of the pandemic, the economy in Nevada, specifically in Las Vegas, almost came to a standstill because it was mm-hmm. so driven by tourism uh, to casinos into Las Vegas. Um, and that, yeah. You know, it's popped back recently, True. but if, if you're living in a place where it's uh, the, the like the economy and taxes are derived from a very specific source and that cuts off, the story in Las Vegas is going to be different from a place elsewhere where there's various sources that schools are collecting revenues from. Yeah. Um, so it's it, it's really it's context specific and mm-hmm. uh, it differs. What was there's one more point that I was. Uh, trying to remember oh yeah i I think it was uh it's this there's like a a budgeting perspective to this too that i think is really quite important um and and so in in past recessions particularly the great recession uh the hit was to property taxes in the great and great recession housing values dived because of the prime mortgage crisis and that was directly where schools got their mm-hmm. revenues from or a large proportion of their revenues from um, there was really not much of a dip at all to property tax revenues uh, in this most recent recession. It, it dipped for a month or two at max and then was back to normal. And until recently with the Fed raising rates, the housing prices actually were increasing, mm-hmm. uh, r- raising more revenues. And, and so there, there was, wasn't really, the mechanism to uh, take money out of uh, schools' hands. Um, and so they sort of just kept spending at the, the levels that they were spending previously. Yeah. The other big difference between this recession and past recessions is it, it took quite a while, just, just under a year, if I'm remembering, before the, the start of the Great Recession properly and when the Recovery Act goes into place to start uh, helping local governments cover some of those costs. Uh, the the first COVID aid bill 
occurred very quickly, mm-hmm. and then subsequent larger ones that included uh, the ESSER funds for schools came out pretty quickly as as well. So there was less, both the money was there, which is helpful, but perhaps even more importantly, schools could confidently know that the, the funding was coming, that they weren't going to yeah. be left uh, hung out to dry by the by the federal government. And uh, that means that there are certainly places where there were increases in turnover, but it wasn't really because of money. Like most places had the, the money. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. One more point on this. I think the, the part of it that is the most complicated for me to think about uh, is that you, if you look at the age uh, of teachers and, and how that uh, has been changing over the last couple of decades, uh, it's been rising as a lot of teachers uh, are, have been approaching the traditional age for retirement of, of age 65. Yeah. So there, there it has been since the mid 2000s, this increase in the number of teachers that are retiring every year. Now that continued in the pandemic, but it, it didn't, it's hard to tell whether that increased in the pandemic because of the pandemic or because there were teachers who, you know, had put in 35, 40 years, had their mm-hmm. full pension, were pretty close to retiring anyways. And we're just like, you know what? Yeah, that's de- definitely not teaching over Zoom. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it's sort of that that's the piece that I wish I could understand that I feel like I have the the weakest uh, grip on. It's like what how much turnover, how how uh, many teachers would have retired if the pandemic had never happened. It, it would have mm. probably been a little bit higher, uh, but we'll never know exactly. Yeah, and you bring up many different layers and the nuanced conversation. So it's not this sort of one aspect. Like you even kept bringing, oh, I need to bring up this other topic and this other topic. There's so many different components, and I really appreciate the way that you're trying or that you do hold all of them together to get a big picture. One thing you did bring up, and well, you brought all, most of this up in your paper, was the 12%, and, and I like that. Uh, you brought that up and sort of came back to that in the paper. Like this is the normal rate that people are leaving the the profession. So let's use that as a standard. And what's above that is above normal. And what's below that is is better. So a question I have for you, but did COVID have a specific impact on teacher employment or was this just happening anyway? So that's the sort of angle that I was wrestling through as I, as I read your article. I think we could, we could break it down to the categories of things that we know were because of COVID that mm-hmm. very reasonably would affect teachers' decisions to, to to continue being a teacher, and then factors that were happening prior to COVID. So one of them I mentioned already, that's the, the increase in retirements, yep. uh, as more and more teachers were reaching that you know, eligibility for Social Security age of, of 65. There's also a a decrease in the number of students that are becoming certified to be teachers that okay. goes back about 20 years. Yeah. And okay. 20 years. It, wow. It, it's been, it's been happening for yeah quite, quite a while. Fewer people going to college are choosing to become teachers and it's not a, not a dramatic change, but if you, if you plot the graph out and look at mm-hmm. it, there's, there's okay. fewer teachers every year and that, and that starts before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and, and then there's also this issue of, of pay. Uh, so mm-hmm. teacher pay has increased uh, over the past 20 years, but when you take into account inflation, it's been completely flat. Yeah. Uh, so there have not really been any 
changes to how much teachers have been uh, paid uh, for many decades. And, and prior to that, that reverses a, a trend in the 1980s and, and 1990s that states and school districts were trying to bring in as highly qualified individuals as they could into the teaching yeah. field by increasing salaries. So that that changed. It became flat. So that's all stuff that was happening before the pandemic. Okay. And uh, undoubtedly, I think, changed uh, people's decisions about wanting to become uh, teachers or, or state teachers. Um, on the on the other side of, of the pandemic itself, the the job is even compared to other jobs in the pandemic, it would be hard to think of a, a job that became easier uh, in, in the pandemic. Certainly most people were uh, negatively affected, uh, but, but teaching is, was really affected in, in sort of a unique way. Um, one, in the beginning, you have sort of this massive shift of we're going online, we're going to Zoom. Yep. Um, for I'm sure most people listening have experienced teaching, but for for those who didn't, it, I think it would be easy to think, well, that's not really that difficult. That you just sort of <laughs> rethink your your lesson plans. Um, it, it really is. I, I mean, I was teaching undergraduates at the time, so it's uh, not entirely the same, but it, it is deceptively easy. You think about it like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah, I can just I can just do this over Zoom, but it's it's different. Yeah. Um, it requires a lot of changes to, to planning, um, a lot of resources where everyone was sort of figuring it out at mm -hmm. the live at the same time. Then you can add the aspect uh, of working with, you know, young kids is going to be very different uh, than, than working with others. Uh, there's the aspect of teaching that is incredibly important of, of being a caretaker, of, of caring for your students. Uh, while literally millions of students were dealing with very serious trauma, perhaps losing the, a parent or yeah. losing someone else that was close to them or, or just fearing uh, that that was going to happen when someone was ill. So to, teachers also uh, were responsible for that. Now, now you add on top of that, that it's a field where they needed to work with people uh, students who for quite longer than the rest of us were not able to get vaccinated because no vaccine mm -hmm. uh, was, was available for them. And so uh, for, for many of us uh, having access to the vaccines was a big relief and a big turning point and how we felt about our own uh, safety and changed how we uh, acted in, in the pandemic. Um, teachers could still get vaccinated, but they, you know, still had to deal with the, the fact that, many of their students uh, could still infect each other and in theory could in infect them. And that's, yeah. that's really hard. Um, and it, mm -hmm. it's bared out in some data that shows us uh, from the, the RAND Institute that the stress that teachers reported on, on surveys was about twice with uh, other workers. So in, in any other category uh -huh. of the, the economy, teachers were really stressed. Um, and and more stressed than than others than, because of all these different factors. Um, and and I, you know, we showed that there wasn't a big change in, in turnover, but I, I absolutely don't believe that it's true that those factors that I just mentioned of how the teaching occupation itself changed that 
certainly influenced the decisions of of many yeah. uh, who needed to leave, either through a direct threat to their own health or the difficulty of the job. There, there's also some survey results that suggest uh, that people left the the classroom because they needed to uh, take on a caretaking role mm-hmm. for a partner or, or for another family member who uh, had fallen ill. And uh, so there, there, there's a lot of, there are a lot of things going on. Some stuff that was happened before yeah. that is in the pandemic's fault. Certainly a lot. Nothing. The pandemic was not good. Um, <laughs> none, none, of, none of the things that it caused yeah, helps. True. Um, yeah. It's just so many different things going on at the same time. Yeah. So I'm going to make a statement and then I want you to uh, elaborate on it, correct it, you know, but whatever you see fit. The pandemic, uh, you know, greatly impacted teachers with stress and many of the things you said, but it did not cause them to leave the profession in an exodus like some people were predicting. Uh, speak to that. Yeah. So I guess the, the question is, one, what's what's an exodus? Mm. Is it maybe it's true that the levels of teachers that were living classroom before was always an exodus? Mm. It's, it's just we've been there's been a shortage of teachers for as long as we can measure for the past 50 years. And it didn't uh-huh. get necessarily worse in the pandemic, but it's, it was still, it was always bad. Yeah, so that's, like that. that's one possible answer. Yeah. I, I think the the other thing is to get into the nitty gritty, the weakness of what we're actually able to, to measure uh, in the paper, which is the, these turnover rates or these attrition rates. So that, so like if, if a turnover, a turnover rate stays the same, you have are you talking about that 12 percent rate that would yeah, be a turnover yeah, so that, rate okay yeah so that that would stay the same uh if say you had 100 teachers in your school uh and you lost 12 of them one year yeah uh but then you replaced them with 12 teachers the next year so you, yep. ha- you had 100 both years but you had this normal sort of people who left and then people mm-hmm. who came in um what we don't really so we know that stayed uh, the same um, more or less, but there there could have been very serious changes to non-core teaching instructional roles. Yeah, um, we you see you saw some of this sort of in the popular press. There are these stories about how school districts laid off essentially every bus driver, um, yeah. and then were having great difficulty hiring them back after they had left to mm-hmm. uh, to different positions. The Probably the biggest influence of the pandemic, I think, though, is that if you made it, and this is true for basically every job, in that first couple of like year, year and a half, where there's still a lot of economic anxiety that many mm-hmm. people were feeling, um, if you felt like you could make it work with the health aspect, you're probably just going to stay. Yeah. Um, and with the, the labor strength of the economy being what it was at the, at the time, it, it's possible. And there's like some sort of base economic theory that would suggest that we, we still have a very strong labor market. But if there becomes a point where that changes, that might actually be where you see the effect of the pandemic. You, oh, you might have this that that it hasn't one our, our data is lagged by a year or two at best. So yeah. uh, the situation today could actually be quite different from the situation we've described in the paper, but uh, most teachers only work 
five to six years before leaving the profession or, or choosing to move out of the classroom. Hmm. And that trend, I don't know, but that it's possible that that trend could be uh, multiplied as sort of a very long term uh, effect of the of the pandemic. So if 12% is, is our baseline, what were we seeing? At, again, I don't, you sort of commented on this. I don't know if we'll see if, if we know this data yet, but, but what are we seeing as the indicators of what it's been during the pandemic of uh, teachers leaving? The way that we measure teacher attrition, if you think about a teacher who was in a specific school mm-hmm. uh, and say the 20 18, 2019 school year. So it was the, the last full school year before the pandemic. Um, and then you can then see whether or not that teacher stayed in that same school in that next school year, in the 2019, yep. 2020 school year. Um, now the pandemic happens in March, 2020. So that's uh, well into to that school year. So it's only partially the pandemic and you're looking at what happened really at the beginning of that school year. So you wouldn't even really expect to see the pandemic's effects in 2019-2020. So 2020-21 is really the first year where you could think, okay, well, we're we're now seeing how attrition is going to influence the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we collect data in the paper from 14 states for that year. And then I believe it's only six or seven that we see what happens in that next okay. year, the 2021-2022 school year. Um, now, of course, we're we're now onto a whole uh, other school year, and it'll probably be a few more months before we even get data from a year ago, let alone what's happening this school year. Mm. So uh, there's this, and that's another theme of the the paper that yeah. uh, we don't really know what's going on right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we're we're telling you what feels like about a whole other world that <laughs> this like early pandemic. <laughs> world that is almost such a different context that in some sense it feels like not particularly relevant um on on some level yeah i appreciate the way that you said that so one one another thing that jumped out to me is a breakthrough in how you broke down the data right and i I read your paper a couple times i I had a piece of chart paper out and i'm I'm graphing these different data systems because i never even heard of these things you have the bls the ncs the sea and you talk about yeah how these and I I don't want to I don't want to overwhelm our listeners, but I do want you to speak sort of uh, in a concise way to this, like because this to me it was a breakthrough, and and you just said it, you know, it's hard to even understand what was going on because of the we need better data systems, like you said in the title of your paper. So, can you speak a little bit to the way that data is reported in regards to teacher vacancies, especially sort of breaking down the BLS, the NCS, and the SEA for our listeners? Sure. Yeah. So there, there's definitely a real word soup, uh, <laughs> alphabet soup going on. Um, and and I, I, talk to, I talk to teachers, I talk to academics, I talk to reporters, mm-hmm. I talk to, you know, my family members. I, it's confusing to everybody. So yep. I think it's important to, to start at, at that point. Um, you can broadly break the types of data that we can see into two categories. So you've got administrative data, which are, are data from from a state usually that has to has a human resource system and needs to keep track of how many people uh, work either in the district or or in a state. Um, and so 
a lot of the data that we have is uh, is from them. Uh, that's more frequently up to date. Um, there's this other broad category of data that are are from surveys. Uh, mm. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics, as the BLS that you mentioned, there's a, a variety of different surveys uh, that they use where they call up somebody and uh, ask them what field they work in, what their occupation is, and whether or not they're employed, uh, and then use that information to extrapolate out what's happening to the whole country. Um, to really briefly summarize a, a convoluted conversation that is happening amongst some people, a lot of the surveys are telling pretty different stories oh. about what's going on with the labor market overall, but also with teachers. Um, and that's an ongoing sort of, hey, what's going on here? Um, I think my, my two cents about that uh, is that similar to uh, what's been going on with surveying with political campaigns and how there's been uh, among the people who conduct those surveys sort of like a crisis of, is this working as well as it should? Is it working as well as it, it's always worked? The, the key is that uh, the people who you ask, you want to make sure are representative of, of the whole group. Uh, and it seems that in the pandemic, fewer people are interested in responding uh, to surveys. Mm -hmm. um, or as I think I saw wittily put in a, in a tweet at some point, pollsters really better figure out a better way to contact Generation C because they rather eat a hot coal than respond to an unlisted <laughs> number. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I certainly don't, but I think that's what's, that's what's also happening. And it's just to say that some of, some of these data systems that we have aren't working as well. And it's just because they're not able to contact as many people as they used to be um, yeah. for reasons that aren't totally known, but it's, it's happening. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, you breaking that down for us and also your honesty. Now within your, your paper, it seemed like you had these two big factors that sort of impacted the data that we did have that might have skewed it a little bit to show that we had more vacancies than as a result of COVID than maybe in reality. And what I got from it was the lack of hiring in the summer of 2020. And you've been making this connection that you make that you make in your paper, but you've been making it in our conversation to the Great Recession. And I don't think that's an obvious connection for most people and for our listeners. So I want you to speak to that a little bit, like why you keep bringing that up as a connection point. And then I also, you also bring up, so we did lose a lot of staff and we lost a lot of teachers. Like you keep bringing that up and that's important. Sort of, we lost a lot of instructional staff, bus drivers, instructional aides, all of these other people within buildings, they definitely vanished and might have skewed the data for teachers leaving as a result of COVID. So, and I'm not saying teachers didn't leave, you know, like we keep saying, but maybe it's not the way that some people are portraying it in, in a sense. But anyway, let me ask the question. Can you speak to that that a little bit? Um, why do you keep making the connection between the Great Recession and what's going on today and the lack of hiring in 2020 and the loss of non-instructional staff uh, during COVID? So it's helpful to think uh, about, uh, for, for those listeners who don't know, like the, the literal organizational operation of, of how hiring teachers works. So most of it happens in the late summer and the and the early fall, right, right about in the month or two after 
the school district uh, starts um, and there'll be a principal and someone in the central office will let them know how much money that they Mm -hmm. have. And then they use that amount of money uh, to hire uh, whoever they, they want to. Now it's different than a private business uh, or something. And then in that a principal can't be like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to not hire that position this year and I'll just pocket it and like cover something else or cover the budget. Mm-hmm. There, there's a little bit of moving money from bucket A to B, but for the most part, they get money and then they have to spend it. And they have to spend it in this pretty contained time period when virtually all teachers are, are hired in the late summer, early fall. Um, when the Great Recession was happening, uh, states and districts who make most of the revenue that they spend from taxes off properties, from, from taxes off uh, people's homes, um, it, the like timing of when it happened uh, meant that there just wasn't as much money to go around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it, like districts that had budgeted to say, have a hundred teachers, all of a sudden over the course of a couple of months could only hire 90 teachers instead of the hundred teachers. Like mm-hmm. literally the money just wasn't there. Um, and so there were a lot of layoffs or reductions in, in force that occurred uh, just because of the the simple nature of that of that math problem. It's not, uh, you know, uh, there, there, there really are like very few options when you're, you're faced with that uh, scenario when you're hiring. Um, the what happened with the the pandemic was a little bit different, partially because there were decreases in taxes, but uh, there's just a lot less shopping. Well, more online shopping and less in-person shopping. So if you were a brick and mortar uh, business, you were in a lot of trouble, but like I was saying, housing prices went up. So there was no uh, issues there. Um, but there, there was this big change to switching schools to be uh, on, on virtual instead of uh, in person. Um, and no one knew exactly how long that was going to last. There were all of a sudden these positions that didn't really have a, a role anymore. If you were a bus driver uh, or if you were on the janitorial staff um, or even in, in some places, cou- uh, guidance counselors or school psychologists where the rules had been set up that, therapy or counseling for students, you know, young students under the age of 12 had to be done in person. It was, Mm. you know, not certified to, to be done online, which makes sense. Um, uh, and so that it took time to, to figure that stuff out. And so there are places where many of of those positions were, uh, temporarily laid off. Um, so there's that sort of like sorting out of how it's going on. That's in the real world. Now, getting to the data, um, the categories for each of those data sources that I said that I mentioned before, the who fits into the different buckets, like who's yep. actually a teacher? Does that include paraprofessionals? Right. Does, does that in some places include guidance counselors? Th- those right. categories differs in every survey, differs in every state. Um, <laughs> that doesn't help. Some, it doesn't help. Yeah. In some places, it includes kindergarten. In some oh, places, wow. it includes higher ed. Oh, my um, in some places, it includes, you know, educational rules fully mm. outside of the traditional educational system. It would 
in some surveys, if you're a yoga instructor, it, that you're an instructor, so it would it would count you in, in that category. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's just like that. That really boils down to you have to take all analyses here with a bit of a grain of salt. Yeah, because Josh, the, real, real quick. So you've mentioned bus drivers. Is yeah. Ha- have you seen that, you know, bus drivers even included within instructional uh, roles or were we just using that as sort of a general example? Yeah. So so school bus drivers, funnily enough, is one of the categories that is included in the current population survey, which is okay. one, of, one of these employment surveys that yep. I mentioned. Okay. Uh, so we do we do know that there was a big dip in bus drivers. I also mentioned yeah. that because there were a lot of stories in the in the popular press about that happening yeah, so it's, that's a, that's it's one of those bad. convenient things that we saw in the data and then also could see what's happening in the real world sorry i didn't want to get you off track i just wanted no, to it's, sort of clarify give an example because we were sort of throwing that around but but keep going with what you were saying yeah i i there's a second question that you raised that i i think i only answered uh about the of. non-instructional staff yeah yeah so uh, i so even beyond the individual categories uh the titles for those positions, whether or not, you know, paras, assistant teachers, mm-hmm. tutors, I, I mean, they're going to differ from school to school. Uh, th- th- those types of roles, <laughs> they vary a lot, both in the, the number uh, of, of whether a school is like really focusing on, on that as part of their uh, educational strategy. So it's it's really hard to know what. Mm-hmm. Uh, is going on particularly uh, with those people who are absolutely teachers or you know yep. educating yep. students, but might just not be falling into the right bucket on a, yep. on a survey. Yeah, thanks for breaking that down and explaining it a little bit further. As you reflect on this paper, um, what was an unexpected takeaway uh, from doing the research, from writing it, from collaborating, from even thinking about it now? What was an unexpected takeaway for you? I think the response in terms of how vital people think about this issue sort of caught me off guard. Hmm. Uh, what do you mean by a, that? A bit. Um, well, I guess it's maybe just a function of having previously studied topics that weren't of, of as interest as much interest <laughs> to other people. Um, so, so part of, part of it is that uh, diff- different in that experience, but I, I, I think it, uh, it really reflects this sort of moment that, that we are uh, in, in culture where people really value, know the importance of a school in a way that they didn't know before the pandemic. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I don't have kids, but I know parents who or have many friends who do and talking to them throughout the pandemic, my goodness, their experience was really different. And not that, not that any of those folks didn't care about schools or didn't, didn't value what happens in those places. But when it was taken away, they really thought about it quite differently. And, and so my takeaway is really the, yeah. the response that I've heard okay. uh, of how you, you mentioned at the very beginning of their people have very strong <laughs> takes uh, <laughs> on this um, and that, that are not necessarily in my mind after having thought about this a lot inconsistent with each other, but just sort mm. of reflecting these different ways of thinking about problems and, and solutions. And so that 
that's been the part. Um, it's just a fascinating experience to have a conversation with people like yourself and, and others yeah. over the course of weeks and have people take very different but <laughs> equally valid uh, conclusions away from the same graph. Like that, that is really neat, I think, from, from my perspective. Yeah, that's cool. Josh, it's time for the final word. What would you like to say to close out this podcast? Yeah, so I, I think it marries nicely with what I was saying before. Uh, really need to value our teachers and their importance uh, as much as, as we possibly can. Some of that support uh, is just coming together in a, in a community and thanking them uh, more broadly, but I also think that we need to value teachers by paying them more and giving them more supports and uh, listening to what they are saying, what they say they need, because they are helping. They mm-hmm. they have been doing amazing work, and uh, we should do more to value that, in my opinion. And before we end, uh, who do you want to give a shout out to? I definitely need to thank Matt Crafts, who was the professor that I was working with when I started uh, on this project. He he asked me to join, and uh, it's been a really great learning experience and, and as rewarding as a, a research opportunity that I've ever had. Josh, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast and all of your insight. Listeners, thank you for joining us on the Diving Deep EDU podcast. If you like this episode, subscribe, rate, review, and share it out. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire. 